0: Mac Power Users, episode 379, Workflows with Liana Lehua. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd?
1: I'm well, David. How are you?
0: Excellent. And we have a great guest with us today, our good friend, Liana Lehua. Welcome to the show, Liana.
1: Hello, ha
0: uh, I feel like we've been abusing you. uh We've had you on the show a couple of times. You taught us how to pack how to travel internationally, and we've never actually asked you how you get your work done. so you are on the show today for a workflow show. you okay with that?
2: yay, I'm very excited about it <laughs> now i now I actually have to to fess up to actually doing stuff
0: well well you are um <laughs> i was thinking I was thinking because you, you and I are good friends, you know full disclosure we hang out together all the time and And you have an influence on me. Sometimes I see an app on your home screen and suddenly I'm using it. So uh, I thought, you know, we need to share that wisdom with the audience. Um, But before we get started on that, just a couple announcements. As this show publishes, we're just a week away from Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, um, which is going to start the the first week of June. Uh, I'm going to be up there attending uh, meeting with uh, friends and clients and nerds and having a great time. Uh, I'm going to be at the... Relay.fm meetup on Monday. There's a big meetup there, so if you guys are going to be in San Jose for the week of WWC, I recommend going over and getting a ticket. I'm also going to be at the App Camp for Girls meetup, which is on Wednesday night. So please come say me if you're there. I always feel a little sad, you know, when I'm there and and people uh, listen to some other show and they don't listen to Mac Power Users. I need the Mac Power Users audience there. Come on, I, I have a very weak, fragile ego, gang.
1: Just sitting in the corner by yourself, sipping your tea. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's true. I need it. I need the the positive reinforcement. Um, I have a I'll,
2: ticket. I'll be there.
0: Oh, excellent, excellent. So you can meet me and Liana. That'll be great. Um, also, uh, at the end of the show today, we're going to do Sorry, a. I'm not sure. Oh wait, did you hear that? So I, I was going to talk about predictions, and then my echo started talking. But but we don't do this uh, normally on the Mac Power Users. But we thought it'd be fun to to have a few predictions about WWDC. We're a week out now, so. Silly season is upon us and it's infected us. So at the end of the show today for 10 minutes or so, we're going to talk about some of our favorite predictions for uh, the big announcements.
1: And and what do we predict that we're going to do the week at WWDC?
0: Uh, yeah, we figured it out. So we've got a, a uh, feedback show scheduled that's going to release the day before WWDC. We've got a bunch of feedback. Thank you, everybody, for sending it in. Uh, so that'll go out on the normal schedule on the Sunday.
1: And so they still ha- they still have time to send it in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Please send it in. Uh, we are not going to uh, do the usual routine where we record a show immediately after the keynote. And we're not a fan of those shows, frankly, because you don't have a lot of good information that you just have what Apple has told you. Uh, so instead, I'm going to be walking around talking to developers, talking to Apple folks for a few days and kind of get a a read on what's exactly going on. So our show about WWDC announcements is going to record probably two or three days after the the keynote and then release immediately. So uh, that that week of WWDC, our show will release like Thursday or Friday as opposed to Sunday. And it will be somewhat newsworthy, but it'll also hopefully have some good introspection with a little bit of time to to find things out. So that's the plan. Did I cover all the bases here, Katie?
1: Yeah, I think you covered the basis. I think the big thing is, you know, we, we get that by the time we get to you towards the end of the week that you everybody's going to know what's going to be out. But, you know, with David's boots on the ground there, you know, hopefully we'll have a little different perspective on what's going on and, and we won't have talked about it together.
0: Yeah. And frankly, not all our listeners do uh, follow every tiny bit of news on this. So a lot of folks just depend on us to bring it to them. So uh, this is a good opportunity to do so. Okay, gang, let's, uh, let's talk about Liana's workflows.
1: All right, announcements are over. So, you know, Liana has been on MPU in the past. We, we've talked about that. We also got to catch up with her at the Chicago meetup, which was a lot of fun. So Liana got to uh, meet up with us, but then also got to meet up with, with a lot of our listeners as well, which was awesome. Um, but Liana and you have a shared Disney history, which is really why you guys love her so much
0: you know what's funny um this is this is totally off base i'm gonna send you a copy of this picture (laughs) katie but like in the what what year was that parade liana 1980 something maybe
2: it was uh, i think it was early 90s because state fair was my first one and that was 88 89 so it had to be early 90s it was the um the buster what is his name he sang that song the party song?
0: Yeah, oh, Olé Olé. Yeah, Leole. that one. It was that
2: okay. parade. So it had to be early 90s.
0: All right. So Disney had a parade in the early 90s. I think it was the 35th anniversary. And now they are 50 years old or 60 years old, I guess. So it was 25 years ago. Um, I was working on the Mark Twain steamship. So I had my Mark Twain costume on. I was backstage, you know, having a cool drink. And the parade folks were all sitting around waiting to start the parade. And this very nice... Uh, a small Asian lady, uh, <clears throat> dressed yes. as as uh, as Mickey or I guess Minnie actually,
2: Minnie, yeah,
0: Minnie, uh, with the with the mask off. I was just standing there, and and I made friends with her. And I said, "Hey, can I get a picture with Minnie?" I, I never did this while I worked there, but why not? I had a camera with me that day, so she was super nice. Put the pick the hat on. Or the, the I don't, I'm using the wrong lingo and I, I don't want to get you in trouble. But, but anyway, Liana at the time was Minnie Mouse. And, and so we were complete strangers. I was very good
2: friends with Minnie Mouse. That's the, that's the legal jargon. Not legal, but that's the I was very good friends with Minnie Mouse.
0: OK, so Liana was very good friends with Minnie Mouse. So she was nice enough to get the, the rig on in like 90 degree Southern California weather. And take a picture with me. And I've always loved that picture. And after we became actual friends later through our geek association, it occurred to me that that was you. And we, we figured it out. And that actually was you. So our friendship goes back a long time. I, I just sent you a copy of that picture recently. <laughs> so, uh, so that was cool. a long way of telling Liana worked for Disney. Uh, not only did you work as friends with some of the characters, you actually ended up winning into web development for Disney at some point.
2: I did. Uh, that, was, that, that was fun. I, I got to go to different business units of the company at that point because I'd only been at Disneyland, uh, but then worked on some ERP or enterprise resource planning like PeopleSoft, SAP, for anybody who's familiar with those systems for uh, Disney consumer products as well as Disneyland Park.
0: Yeah. I Katie, can we put a picture in the show notes? I think we can. I'm gonna i I'm gonna figure a way to put that picture in or I'll put it on the site. Well, or especially
1: what you can do is if you if you tweet it out from the Mac Power users account, we can link to that. That's probably the easiest way, but we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then from there, uh Liana went into video production and how I really got to know you is you were doing some very high end video stuff. You wanna talk about that a little bit?
2: Sure. I was doing a lot of uh I, I got involved kind of in the podcast scene and I think it was somewhere around 2006, 2007. Um, and I, I had moved to San Francisco and was working for a network at that time and had my own uh, audio podcast that turned in then to like a little bit of a video podcast. And my co hosts at the time were really into video. So that kind of got me really into it. In addition to being in San Francisco, uh, I connected then with uh, Alex Lindsay for anybody who uh, has been a long time kind of Mac user might be familiar with Alex and the work that he does.
1: Well, Alex was actually on our show too.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was talking about travel and a bunch of things too, wasn't he? Um, he, he's. I learned a lot of my travel tricks from him, you know, full disclosure. At the time, he was shooting, I think it was 2007, 2008, he was shooting MacBreak, if anybody remembers the video show MacBreak that he did, the podcast. He was shooting it in 4K because he could and this was like an early so i got kind of my i got i bit the, i got the bug from him cuz i would see the things that he would do in his office at the time he had something on market street with the pixel core and so i kind of continued to work with him for a long time and we did some uh pretty high end video production stuff and then got into doing live streaming he was if, if I can remember correctly, he was one of the first people kind of in the live streaming space. And so we had some really early work with some, some, some pretty big name companies. And uh, so I continued to work in in that space, uh, which was really fun. So live, really high-end broadcast video productions. And, if, and
0: and that's what had you traveling all over the world and led you to coming on our show and talking about travel tips.
2: Right. Yeah, I got to go to a lot of really, really interesting places.
0: And from there, you went into motion pictures.
2: I did. And as a direct result of all of that work I had done traveling um, with, um, uh, one of the people that I met uh, was actually somebody, a, a lot of the people that I met, excuse me, were people that decided they were going to bu- uh, write and produce their own feature film. So we did. And I ended up being part of that crew. And we went to Iceland for six weeks and shot a feature film on Iceland in Iceland and just released on iTunes and it was in. Uh, it had a theatrical release or short theatrical release. I think it was at the end of April. Yeah, the end of April. Um, and so that is now available on iTunes. Not that I'm saying people should go buy it, but what's the name? It's called Boca B O K E H. Uh, so Boca, if anybody's familiar, is a a, a photography term or videography term, and it just means the out of f- focus portion of a photo. And so the film is uh, a sci-fi drama about a point in, in, in the world where uh, this young couple goes to Iceland. And while they're in Iceland, this event happens. And what the event does is it causes everybody else in the world to disappear. So the movie is less about what happens in that specific event and more about the relationship between this young couple and their perspectives. So uh, one's focus on is on one thing and the other's focus is on something else. So uh, kind of choosing what we decide to focus on and what we blur is kind of where the the title came from. So, bokeh, b o k e h.
0: It's a great movie. I strongly recommend it.
2: Oh, thanks. It's fun. Iceland for six weeks. That was kind of neat.
0: Yeah, I bet. You bet. You got some great pictures there too.
2: Yeah, we did.
0: Now, your current gig, you're still in kind of the video business, the entertainment business, but you've got it's a very interesting job that you're working on now. You want to share a little bit about that?
2: Sure. I'm currently, so I've gone into strategy a little bit with video and media in general. So social media, video, online space, uh, and I'm working for a public broadcast uh, station talk show, the Tavis Smiley Show. Um, and Tavis is, has been in the business for a really long time. He's on his 14th, 14th season of his talk show with PBS, um, and he's written well over 20 books and so what I'm working with him on is it's moving into kind of an online space in addition to kind of repurposing some of the, the content he's already created over the years. So it's pretty exciting. It's, it's, a, it's a good gig. Uh, we're having a lot of uh, fun figuring out brainstorming and uh, hopefully soon starting to produce some original content.
0: Yeah, and for, for Tavis, I know you're doing, just from talking to you, you're doing video production workflows, you're working on digitizing a lot of the older um, tape media, and you're also doing social media and a whole bunch of other things for him as well.
2: Yeah, it's kind of all-encompassing. Like, I've got a tiny, tiny team, so he's helping me doing the digitizing, but effectively, it's kind of, it's a really, it's a really, really small team effectively me and one other person. So <laughs> it's a lot of work. But that said, uh, because it's so much work that we're really excited about, like my workflows are really important.
0: So and in short, as you can figure, Liana is busy and she's a nerd. And that's the perfect guest for the MacBowr users.
2: Thanks. I'm excited to talk about them. I feel like um, I feel like the show might actually just be a rehash of all the workflows that have ever been on the show, because as, as you know, as a friend, David and, and Katie, as well, I, I'm also an avid listener of the show, so I feel like a lot of the stuff I have, I've ripped from other people.
1: <laughs> Leah, I have kind of a preliminary question before we get into your setup and your gear. One of the things that strikes me when people have these types of jobs that you have is when when we went when you went to school, these jobs didn't exist. So how did you get ready for a job like this? Like how did you learn to do what you do?
2: Sure, yeah, it's a really good question, Val- So when I went to school, I majored in business. And at the time, I just kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. So I figured that was general enough. Um, and I don't know that I typically, that I specifically use anything that I can recall from that experience, but there were a couple of things that came of that. And I think it's one of the things that's, it's an advantage of going to going to college is the network. For sure. I feel like even now, a lot of the people that I work with are, uh, people that either i hire or bring on to do contract with that kind of thing are a lot of people that i've met met in college so that was kind of the big thing there outside of that i've always just kind of been a nerd even from when i was a kid i remember I, or the first computer that we had in my house was a radio shack trs 80 wow
0: that's a that's an old Good one times,
2: a tr- trash 80 yeah. Did so, you get the one
0: with the monitor and the keyboard all in one unit and the, like the floppies to the right there? Yes. It was I all remember one unit. That computer. I, st- I
2: wish I had still have some of those floppies. It would just be happy, fun to have. Five five and a quarter inch for you young kids. The floppies were these thin five and a quarters. So <laughs> yeah,
0: um, And then you had a hole punch to get them double right. sided.
2: And they actually did flop. Right. And they did flop. Right, Katie? That's funny. You never thought about that. The floppy disk. Yeah. And then they became they came to a point where they didn't flop anymore. And now they don't even spin. But anyway, um, so I'd always been kind of a geek and had done different things and kind of in the geek space, like I was interested in I was never a collector of things like comic books and uh, playing uh, RPGs or role playing games. Uh, But I did those things. And it seemed like, based on that, I kind of ran in crowds that you know, people had computers. I didn't have one of the early Macs, but uh, one of my really good friends did. So we'd go over and play on that. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of decades, I continued uh, fiddling with uh, everything from cameras to computers. And uh, just as a hobbyist, I got really into it. And then um, because of that, I, I met other people who were hobbyists who actually happened to also run businesses. So we kind of just uh, in in our and our eagerness to play, uh, we're able to drum up business doing it and kind of just stayed with it since then.
0: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Fujitsu ScanSnap. Frankly, the best scanner available for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. Head over to budurl.me SSMPU and get yours today. There's a reason why I'm a ScanSnap customer. I started buying these guys scanners long before they were sponsors of the show, and it's because they make excellent scanning hardware and software. If you've got a pile of documents sitting on your desk, the ScanSnap will take care of that for you. They've got hardware for every need, like the iX500, which is a full-size scanner that sits on your desk, or even something as small as the iX100, which is the ultimate in portability. It can fit in your purse or your briefcase and can take a 300 DPI scan in just 5.2 seconds. If you need a new scanner, don't think twice, just pick up one of these, you'll love it. We hear from listeners all the time that are happy ScanSnap owners. Today, I wanted to talk about the ScanSnap cloud. Now, if you've already got a ScanSnap scanner, specifically the iX500 or iX100, it's got the ability to network built right into the machine. And the ScanSnap cloud allows you to plug in your scanner anywhere in your house or office. You can scan from there and it will automatically then upload it to the cloud for you. As to exactly which cloud you upload it to is up to you. I send mine to Dropbox, but it also supports Box, OneDrive, Shoebox, and a bunch of other services like Evernote and even Google Drive. The point is you can have your scanner unattached to any computer and still get all your documents scanned for you. With the ScanSnap Cloud service, it even has the ability to pre-sort the documents for you. It can recognize letters versus receipts, for instance. The Fujitsu team's been really working hard on the ScanSnap Cloud, and they just came out with a recent update that makes it better than ever. So I recommend giving it a shot and seeing what you think. For the last month, we've had our ScanSnap scanner down by the trash can and recycle bin. So when the mail comes in, we can scan everything using the ScanSnap cloud and then immediately recycle and trash the stuff that needs to go away. It's a great service and just one more example of why I can easily recommend Fujitsu ScanSnap scanners. These guys don't sleep. They're always trying to make the product better. To get your new scanner today, head over to budurl, that's B-U-D-U-R-L dot me slash S-S-M-P-U for ScanSnap Mac Power users. So budurl.me slash S-S-M-P-U. If you end up getting it somewhere else, send them a tweet or a note. Let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power users. And thank you Fujitsu for your longtime support of the Mac Power users.
1: So you've come a long way probably since your Trash 80. I I can't imagine that uh, anything that you do now... (laughs) um, you know can re- run on on any of those tools i mean maybe you could type a few few lines of text but the types of of work that you're doing requires a lot of power so that begs the question what is your current setup
2: yeah thanks i um the i i haven't upgraded my macbook pro um i don't know potentially we're going to talk about this later because i'm waiting but i've been waiting since mid 2012 cuz i'm still running a 15 inch macbook pro retina from mid 2012 that still is super powerful. I have to say that, you know, for the most part, uh, the thing that I have the most issue right now doing, uh, as David mentioned earlier, one of the things I'm doing is I'm taking old footage from DigiBeta tapes and digitizing now. We're digitizing it at uh, what's called a ProRes quality, and it's uh, 10-bit uncompressed. And so I can't play that from my laptop unless I'm running it from an SSD. Um, So that's one of the kind of the Immediate limitations and my excuse to buy new. If they announce, please announce a WWDC new MacBook Pros.
0: <laughs> does, does your laptop not have an SSD in it?
2: Um, it does. Uh, for some reason, um, whenever I've tried to, I can play back. I can't work on it. So I can play back. So uh, for some reason, I can't. Um, I can't work with the footage. But the footage, as an example, like one show uh, that's a 20-minute show. Is 350 gigs uncompressed when I put when I compress it down to a really low res but high quality file it gets to 20 gigs like it's super huge
0: sounds like a bus problem maybe you just can't it's not that the the drive can't the drive can't deliver the data through the bus fast enough for your your uh, mac to, to see it
2: yeah that's a good point I probably I, I haven't really spent a ton of time doing it. I'm just looking like an excuse to buy a new laptop
0: yeah, it's, it's, look, you're never gonna, we're never going to argue with you on that point here on the Mac Power Users.
1: <laughs> now, just out of curiosity, obviously Apple totally refreshed the MacBook Pro line last year. Um, but a lot of Pro users, yeah, I bought one and uh, it's all right. Um, but a lot of Pro users weren't thrilled with the MacBook Pro line refresh. Was there a particular reason that you held off last year? And are, what are you hoping for this year?
2: Um uh, I want to say that I feel like I was just being more sensible and just didn't want to upgrade just because I was at a point where I could but this but uh but I think that um I felt like what I was running at the time was sufficient for what I was doing and the uh, touch bar is just something that's not compelling to me. I think it's just the way that I work right now even still after after the, all this year of it being out I can't figure out how I would use that. So it wasn't compelling enough for me to upgrade since my machine was running well enough for everything else that I was doing.
0: You know, I don't know if I've heard anybody praising the touch bar that they just love, love, love it. Um, and I'm sure we've got some listeners that probably do, but I, I don't have a problem with it. But in hindsight, I really don't use it that much because I don't look at my keyboard very often. How about you, Katie? Do you- do you use it the touch bar much?
1: No, I don't. I don't use it at all, with the one exception possibly being Touch ID. But the, when I use my computer primarily at my desk, it's it's on a riser, and I'm using a separate keyboard. And even when I'm not using my computer at my desk, and I'm just using it as a laptop, it's I, I just I don't use it.
0: Yeah, I don't really have anything against that. I like setting the the brightness and the music controls with it, but I don't use it a lot for app controls. Like if I want, you know, like Pages has the button to make the text bold but command b is a lot faster than you know finding a button on the touch bar
2: yeah i like keyboard controls as well so yeah i I don't know if for some reason i don't know why i'm so excited to upgrade this year if they announce something because the truth is for the most part the laptop i'm using works and for the thing that i was telling you about if we're working from super high res files there's a machine at the office and actually it's just the um, it's a 5k iMac and love that thing that thing's beautiful um so we work from that when we're doing when we're doing stuff with that that particular
0: footage. You have you you have another Mac too though, right?
2: I do. I have I have an 11-inch MacBook Air. Thank you David um, the uh, I, bought, I bought Davids MacBook Air I was missing a MacBook air so I used to own 11 in, 11 inch MacBook Air um, and then I ended up selling it because I just kind of never used it um, and at the time a lot of the work that I was doing uh, was processing video so I'd shoot video and a lot of the jobs that I did where I was traveling around the world oftentimes I had to ingest media and there were often times when I had to cut it and upload it just do different things with it so I, I really needed a MacBook Pro um, and so in the last maybe six months or so, I've I've noticed that I don't necessarily need to carry my MacBook Pro because I'm not doing things anymore that really require that much power uh, as I'm on the go. Um, so I ended up purchasing the 11-inch MacBook Air, which I love, which is a thing that I carry. It fits in my purse. Um, there's a lot of reasons that I carry it, and a lot of the things that I do now don't require high computing power. And so just in the interest of carrying less, um, it's something I've really liked carrying. Um, in addition to that 11-inch MacBook Air, I have the 12.9-inch uh, iPad Pro, which I love. And I use that with the Apple Smart Keyboard. And uh, there was a recent workflow that you all did with Ian Bird. And when he he effectively says like he bosses with the iPad Pro, I feel like that's kind of where I am now. I'm in a, in a point now where a lot of the things I'm doing don't require that computing power. So the iPad Pro is something that... Um, I will carry around, especially when I'm on set and we have a tape day, because if there's footage or anything like that, that I need to show somebody or photos that we're going to uh, 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 include in the show, things like that, I like to be able to show on the iPad Pro.
0: Yeah. And just to summarize, what Ian talked about, Ian is a, um, is a lecturer, a, a teacher, and he, he was talking about when he runs into stumbling blocks on the iPad, he looks at it as an opportunity to offload work. You know, often he feels like the stuff that he can't get done on the iPad Pro is busy work anyway. And that's just a reminder for him to get someone else to do that part of the work. I thought it was an interesting take.
2: Yeah, that was nice. It was, Um, I, I would like to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's so great. I've offloaded some, I've delegated things. I haven't, but I love the idea.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We're going to do a show on, on getting help soon because I, I have been making extreme efforts lately. Uh, now, I know you use an iPhone, um, and but you're also using it. And you have a second phone, right?
2: I do. So my iPhone is my daily driver and I, I'll just never give it up. I'm too invested in the Apple ecosystem. iMessage, just a lot of things. AirDrop, I love it. Um. But uh, with the show, I needed to get another device uh, just to keep things separate for a couple of different reasons. To keep things separate, um, and uh, also to be able to work with the the applications or the things that we use on the show. Now, while we can, uh, we're, we're heavily invested in the show using the G Suite applications, so Google Docs, Sheets, um, and Drive. And while that those things work on iOS, I ended up getting a Google Pixel XL. Apps, like the Google apps on the Google Pixel XL, of course, run so smoothly and it's very, very, very snappy. And just so in getting things done, um, I feel like the Google Pixel on set really serves me well. Um, the other thing that I, that I really like that I've always kind of loved about the Android side of things is uh, I love the widgets that you can put on the home screen. So when I have a show day and I have up to eight guests coming up, I can put a widget on my home screen that I can just scroll through. That is effectively a schedule of guests and then information that I need, and it's just something that simply I can just pick up. And so I've really enjoyed using this phone that way. Um, in terms of just kind of picking it up to take pictures, do other things, I don't find myself doing that for personal things. But like I said, as as a work device, it's a really a nice workhorse. It's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's ugly. It's an ugly phone.
0: This <laughs> is the one that's kind of like a wedge, right?
2: Yeah, it's so ugly. It's 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 not intensely thick but it's just big and yeah the the bevels on it are weird like it's just a
1: weird shaped phone do you um use it as a phone at all or is it just purely kind of as a access to google and you know internet connectivity type device
2: i use it purely as 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 is the latter um i use google voice and so uh and and I use that kind of as my primary number. And so the phone does ring because I'm connected through that Google Voice number, but I never pick it up. I always pick it up on my iPhone.
1: I, I was just wondering, because I've, I've heard a couple of people who do the same or similar things that you do. And I just wonder, I don't know, I, this is naivety on my part. Are there any really good Android-based tablets that people could use for this type of thing? Because it seems like if you're doing, um, you know, Google apps and, and G Suite type stuff with it, uh, that a tablet might be a better form factor to have better size, but maybe you want something more portable. I don't know.
2: Yeah, like for the Google Pixel, I like just having something more portable. Um, I, I I don't, while we do a lot of work in the Google apps, if I'm doing at work work, I'm doing it on a laptop or the, uh, or, uh, the 11-inch MacBook Air or my MacBook Pro. Um, a lot of times it's just I need to be able to look things up or just quickly update pieces of a doc or that kind of thing. So a lot of things I'm doing um, that I wanted the pixel for was stuff that when I'm on the go, otherwise I'm really in front of the computer doing the intense, more, the more intense stuff that has, has to do with those apps.
0: I, I want to go down a brief rabbit hole on Android here. Cause we don't have guests often that have much experience with Android. Um, the first question would be uh, as a Mac user, uh, how easy is it to use an Android phone as opposed to an iPhone? I mean, does it get in your way or, you know, does the fact that you've got a different operating system affect you in any way?
2: Um, the old, for, in my case, my Google Pixel phone is set up much like my iPhone in terms of the apps where it can. Like OmniFocus is something that I use every hour, every minute almost. And that's only on my iPhone, of course, because there's an, it's not an Android app. But for a, a lot of the apps that I use on my Android, I've set the home screen up like the home screen on my iPhone. I've done that for a couple of reasons. Um, the main reason that I've really done that is just familiarity, like with my iPhone, I just, I know where everything is. Uh, as an example, on my iPhone, I have uh, four folders set up, learn, make, play, work, and everything goes into those four, except that I have uh, whatever key apps that I'm opening multiple times a day also sit on my Uh, phone so i only have one page of apps and so i've set up all the apps that i can um that that match across the board um on on both phones uh the difference is little things like i i downloaded pocket casts on my android phone but i used overcast i use overcast on my my iphone um but everything else pretty much is the same on on the other on both on both devices
0: the second question is what is android doing right that that ios is not doing right i mean are there anything i mean you obviously like you talked earlier about the widgets are helpful to you is there any other experience that you find on android you know that that you wish was on ios
2: i don't think so it's it's one of those you got to be careful what you wish for right like the problem i think with android is, is is that you can kind of do whatever you want to it but that's also one of the things that i love about it but the thing about ios and it being, you know, what we'll call closed, like they call, like to call it closed system. I appreciate that because stuff just works. And that's why it will never not be my daily driver. Or it will always be my daily driver because I can count on it. Whereas I feel like Android, if you have a certain fork that's not available, uh, you know, at some point, then it just, you know, certain apps won't work or it's built for a particular fork of Android. Um, but I would say widgets are the thing that I would love to see more on iOS more customizable widgets like some like the one that the ones that are on um android versus like the 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 widgets you can get on the uh on on ios
0: um I was, well a fundamental difference there is on android the widgets are on your home screen and on 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 ios the widgets are on a second screen you know you, you swipe over to get to that stuff last year they got a little more customizable i i would expect that they Continue down that road, that they get even more customizable this year. But I also, if I, am my, this is just an opinion, is that I think the home screen is pretty sacred on iOS. I don't think they're going to make significant changes to it because I think there's a lot of users that rely on that simplicity of that home screen and don't want the widgets.
2: Yeah, I can see that. That that totally makes sense. Like said, so the thing that I love about Android is also the reason that it's not my main phone.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. But but you got the right one, you know the 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 Google Pixel is as Google's reference phone, so it's going to get the updates and and all that yeah. other stuff. It's overpriced.
2: I, mean, it, I, 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 I in my opinion, it's overpriced for what it is. Like if I was buying it out of my pocket, I wouldn't have bought this particular phone. I probably would have bought whatever was cheaper.
0: The uh, what a point you made that we went over pretty quickly was it's very good for using Google services and. And that is, there is a significant difference, I think, between the Android experience and the the iOS experience with some of the Google services type apps. Uh, I was reminded of this recently when I was on a trip and I had to do some work on a Google document. It was a contract I was working on with a client. And uh, Google has a thing called suggestions. It's like track changes, but they call it suggestions. I I think it's a silly word for it. I don't know why they just didn't call it track changes. But anyway, um, uh, on iPad, Google Docs for iPad, you cannot turn on suggestions. You can view them if they're already there, but you can't add new ones or turn it on. So I was trying to show people the changes I was making, and I had to get on a Mac do that. And that's just like that kind of stuff I think would probably never happen on Android. I think it would support all the features.
2: Yeah, I've used that. It actually does work on on the phone that I have.
1: I want to talk a little bit about some of the apps that you're you're using with these devices. And you kind of brushed over one pretty quickly that uh, I, I know is not in our outline, but I want to make sure that we touch on. But Google Voice, I love the idea and the concept of Google Voice. I think it's a great service. I wish they would let me pay for it. I know a lot of small business owners love it, but it terrifies me that Google's going to Take it away from us at some point. Um, so tell people who may not be familiar about Google Voice and kind of what it is and how you use it.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, I I agree with you. If I could pay for it, I would rather pay for it. I'm also afraid it's going to go away. Fortunately, and a knock on wood, it's me knocking on wood, that uh, it doesn't go away now that we've spoken about it. But um,
1: Oh, shoot. We it. could have done that. <laughs> it's not I hope our not. fault I hope it does. Not.
2: It's not our fault. Don't blame us. We, um, we'll we just blame everything on Leo Laporte because that's what usually happens when he buys something new. Doesn't that still happen? Um, the Google Voice I use, it's tied with Google services. So you have to create a Google account and it's effectively a free phone number that you can get. You can do use it one of two ways. You can either... Use it as a standalone number that you then um, forward to whatever you want to. It can be a home phone. It can be a cell phone. It can be anything like that. Uh, And so you can do two things. You can receive calls at that number, and you can also make calls from that number, which I really love because, um, I like the idea of masking my cell phone number specifically for a couple of reasons. One, in case I ever lose my phone or just change the phone number, it doesn't really matter. Um, and then two, I don't know. I just don't like anybody having my people that I know have my actual phone number. Um, uh, so there's something nice about being able to, uh, use Google voice as a way to kind of route people, uh, away from, from, from reaching you, um, in, in a, not, not necessarily just to not reach you, but like if, if I'm at a point where I don't want to be disturbed or just to be able to can kind of control that. Um, the other thing is that there's a web app there. There's a web app, there's an Android app, and there's an iOS app, um, that you can use to facilitate your calls to receive and send. So if I want to make a call, I can also use that app or online to make right now, I think it's just domestic calls to the United States. Um, But that um, I can call out, and the number my Google Voice number is the number that gets uh, broadcast as the number that I'm calling from. Um, But it's slick. Uh, The thing that they don't have down is uh, when you receive a phone call and somebody leaves a voicemail, Google tries to transcribe those messages. It's horrible. It's 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 not working at all. It's It's really funny. It's
0: hilarious. (laughs) It's yeah, great. <laughs> it is pretty funny,
2: but I love using it because, uh, as you mentioned, Katie, just real quick, sorry, Dave, is that um, that one number I have pointing to the, my two devices? So the when somebody calls me on a Google Voice number, my iPhone rings as well as now my Google Pixel rings. And actually, if I and if I had a home phone, my home phone would ring. But I don't have a home phone anymore. But it's nice to be able to kind of just give that one number and everybody can call it.
1: I was going to say, I know a lot of um, small business owners who use this and Google Voice, like, is their work number, um, particularly if they're out and about and they need to be able to take calls on their cell, but they don't want people to have their personal cell phone because you can set – it's very smart. You can set automatic rules like, you know, send calls through between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., but between 5 p.m. And, and, and 9 a.m., you know, send them automatically to voicemail. And then you'll still get those voicemails, but, you know, you can have it where you won't get work calls on your cell phone if you use Google Google Voice is your work number. Um, my brother and his wife are both teachers, and they say all the teachers have Google Voice numbers that they give to students or that they give to parents of students um, where they can set, because a lot of times, you know, parents aren't available during normal school hours, but they set like a couple of hours during the day where they're available for parent calls or student calls. And you can also receive text on it. Um, but it allows you to keep keep some separation, keep your personal number private, um, but still have a way for people to communicate with you. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's a great service. Um, there there are some issues with it. You know, sometimes there can be some lag. Um, and I know, David, you ran into some of that and, and had to ultimately ditch Google Voice. But, um, yeah, I, I really wish that there was a Google Voice service that I could either pay for or get as part of a Google Apps account that was a little higher level of service. And you know, maybe somebody from Google is listening and get on that.
0: And when I opened my own law practice, I started with a Google voice account and, and I liked it for all the reasons we talked about, especially the customization. And it's just a lot of, of dials you can turn on it. But the one dial you can't turn is quality. And I was having this problem because my phone calls are usually routed from Portland. There's a service I use up there that answers the phone for me. And uh, quite often I'd be talking to someone. And it was like radar on that old show, MASH, you know, like it's. Sparky, can you hear me? It was like a delay and it was just bad. So eventually I switched it to a different service.
2: Yeah, but I love it.
0: Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I know a lot of people love it. So, and I would have preferred to keep using it because it's always a pain to switch your phone around. But it's just, and, and the new service I'm using doesn't have nearly the number of controls Google Voice does. But but when I'm on a routed call, it works much better.
1: So what, what other services are you using um, besides Google? You mentioned the... Um, the entire um, G Suite um, apps? Um, yeah, I'm using,
2: uh, we're using the G Suite apps. And then some of the, I have some hooks tied into the G Suite apps that I really love. So between uh, G, G Suite apps, uh, specifically uh, docs and uh, sheets, are the things that we use most. And the thing that I use uh, with me and my one person team, so two of us, is uh, Trello for Teams. Um, and uh, for anybody, Familiar with not familiar with Trello uh, kind of project management um, so how how it's described I, I'm actually I don't even know how it's described but it's a web- based uh, tool there's also there are also apps for Android and iOS um, that allows us to organize or uh, organize project as an, projects as an example we can attach uh, files uh, create to do lists delegate things um, all in that all inside of Trello. And so the way that I use it is I use Zapier, And I use some some workflows from Zapier that if somebody creates a calendar event on a particular calendar of mine, then it creates a Trello card. Um, As an example, if we have a guest coming on the show, the executive producer will add that person to a row in a Google Sheet. And when that when a row gets updated in Google Sheet, it automatically creates a card in Trello for me so that I know that there's some guest research that needs to be done um, for any social or any kind of the uh, the events that we want to or excuse me, the uh, a collateral that we want to create whether it's a video or do some kind of social call out that kind of thing um so that's been really slick so in addition to that uh if i'm on my phone i use workflow in that same same way um, i'll add something to uh uh uh, I use drafts a lot on my iOS device just because for me, it's a simple, I like being able to just say, I'm going to add something to drafts. And then in drafts, you can kind of send it anywhere. Um, and so I really, really like that. Like while I can input an event in Fantastical, uh, I can do that. But there's something about me always just knowing that I can go to drafts and do whatever I need to do with it.
0: So I, I want to just unwind that a little bit. Uh, you talked about, so and use workflow to create new Trello projects.
2: Um, yes. Um, I'm trying to think of one that I have set up now. Um, I can, uh, take different texts that I input and I can split it by line into separate Trello cards. So a lot of times I'll do that from my phone because somebody might say, uh, here's a list of guests that we have coming on. And if I happen to have my phone with me, I can go to drafts and I can say, uh, or I can say um, or I can go to workflow workflow. I create this through workflow. Um, I'll put the name of each guest on a separate line. And then what I can do is send it to Trello and it will create a separate uh, Trello card for each of those guests. And then that in, from those Trello cards, I can do my separate guest research on each guest. Just little things like that. A lot of the things that I do now are very text-based and I want to send them to other places to either share them with somebody or just get them to a place where later on I can look at it very easily and say, oh, this is what needs to be done
1: with that. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by FreshBooks. You know you're racing against the clock to wrap up multiple projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. This is life as a freelancer or someone who owns your own business. I know, I get it. But, you know, our friends at FreshBooks are here to make it a little bit easier for you. And though they understand that the working world has changed and the growth of the Internet, there has never been more opportunities for the self-employed. There are opportunities exist now that never could have existed before. In fact, I probably wouldn't be doing my my own business without the internet and all of the tools that are now available to me. And those are tools like FreshBooks. FreshBooks has been working tirelessly on their all new version of cloud accounting software. The new version has been redesigned from the ground up. It is custom built to work exactly the way that you do. You'll be able to be more productive and organized, but most importantly, you'll get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculous easily to use, it's packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, build all of your invoices in a WYSIWYG interface so you'll see exactly what your client will see. You'll be able to set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, make it easy for your clients to pay you, which is probably why FreshBook customers get paid up to four days faster. You'll also know when your client has seen your invoices, no more guessing games, and Freshbook. FreshBooks has an all-new notification system that you can think of as your personal assistant. So every time you log in, you'll get an update with what's changed with your business, what needs your attention, and all of these features are coupled with a beautiful redesign focusing on simplicity and clarity. So if you want to know how your business is doing, FreshBooks can tell you. FreshBooks is offering MPU listeners a thirty-day unrestricted free trial. To access it, just go to freshbooks.com/mpu and enter Mac Power Users in the How did you hear about us section, so they know you came from the show. So head over freshbook.com/mpu and thanks FreshBooks for the support of the show and all of Relay FM. So, kind of going through your workflows, I understand um, that dictation has um, a place in your workflows. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Um, yes, it does. I do a lot of driving, and so because I do a lot of driving I, oftentimes I have a lot of things going on in my head, and uh you know being able to dictate those things. What I used to do was just use a voice memo um on the iPhone, but then I would have to transcribe that or do you know I would have to take another step, whereas with uh dictation, I use Dragon anywhere, and it's nice to be able to even if I have to clean it up. It's nice to have some texts to start with, but also I have the ability to send that to somebody if there is somebody that I can just send this to and they get the gist if it doesn't, you know, for the most part, my text comes out great. If it doesn't, then, you know, the person can still get kind of the gist of what what I was saying. So it kind of eliminates steps, but also lets me get things out of my head um, in, in, in an actionable way.
1: Now, Dragon Anywhere is the monthly pay-for service. I know David's talked about the fact that, that he uses that. How are you capturing all of that text? Are you just dictating to a note? Or are you dictating to a, a blank pad and then cleaning it up later and moving stuff where it goes?
2: Yeah, I just dictate to a note. Um, I don't do anything super fancy with it. Um, the thing that I've tried to do I'm um, okay. Uh, as as I mentioned earlier, I am a Zapier user, so I am trying to kind of get hooks into different things. But I've realized that if I just use apps, if I started to use apps the way they were intended originally, kind of bare bones, if you will, uh, I have fewer things that are allow themselves to break or that I have to troubleshoot. So I'm trying to do that more, just use kind of the native function of, of some of the apps. I feel like I, I'm good at breaking stuff because I'm always trying to do 50 things with something.
1: And then I understand that um, mail is still a problem for you. How are you handling email? Uh,
2: I just want mail to work the way I want mail to work. The problem that I have, I often have times where the IMAPs, for whatever reason, I'll have problems connecting with uh, servers. And so then I'm kind of stuck. So I've got, I went to using Airmail. because I like being able to have the same app on my Mac and my uh, phone, iPhone. And uh, for some reason, I feel like it's just been super wonky recently. I'm not sure why. Uh, What I should have disclaimed at the very beginning is that I do run beta software, so that could be part of it. So I'm running beta Sierra and beta iOS. Uh, But the the issues that I'm having is I feel like uh, email doesn't get doesn't come through my refresh doesn't happen my push doesn't happen even though I've checked settings on airmail as fast as it does with other
1: like native app, not native apps but uh, other apps as an example now ever now since I'm using- iOS 10 my push hasn't worked on apple mail don't know why worked with iOS 9 hasn't worked with apple mail on iOS 10 yep oh see now it's, it's, at least it's not just me don't email me about the settings i know the settings <laughs> the settings are right it just has stopped working oh no <laughs> Maybe that'll be an announcement at WWDC. Guess what? <laughs> Maybe
2: they'll be like, oh, yeah, we fixed push again. <laughs> so hopefully that's it. Um, but I, I've gone to using Outlook. Now I'm using Outlook on my Mac and on uh, my um, Pixel and on my iPhone. Um, again, just uh, I'm simply using it because one is responsive. I feel like I get my email quickly. And then two uh, is that uh, across the three pl- platforms now, macOS, uh, iOS, and uh, Android, Uh,
1: there's an app available. I I really feel like, uh, and a lot of people say that there's no more low-hanging fruit on macOS. There is a lot of work to be done on the mail app, both on Mac OS and iOS. And I really feel like this is a place where where Apple could do a lot of work. And I'm, this is something that will impact everyday users and, and really people who are, are using mail for, for work-related purposes. And, and Apple always wants to tout about how they're doing things for the enterprise and these types of things. Well, uh, who at Apple Mail is using mail for work? Or maybe they don't get any email, I don't know. I know. Makes you wonder. That's a good point. Totally low-hanging
2: fruit. Why? That's all I want to know. Why? Why is it such a problem? <laughs> I would totally use it. I would love to use it if, it if it if it didn't. The other thing that somebody said to me was, because I used uh, G Suite, as we mentioned before, so I use it for my email as well. And um, somebody said, well, just use the browser-based version. And I was like, well, it, I don't know. I'm still, I, I feel like I'm still old school in in, in some ways. Uh, Katie, do you remember when we had uh, uh, a lot of apps used to live on your desktop? And so I was just used to that. And I was used to having those things. And still, to some extent, I still like having like a local app. Like I do a lot of things, of course, that are browser-based, but there's something still about me that wants to kind of have that data available to me so I can, I don't know, locally. I, I don't really know why. (laughs)
1: Well, and I, I like, I know that Google has issues, but I also use G Suite. I use a paid Google account for my business related email for many, many reasons. It has a lot of advantages. And I I would love to see statistics and I'm sure Apple has them, but I would imagine a very high percentage of people who use mail on the Mac and on the iPhone are using some kind of Google mail. And I get that Google is not IMAP. It's not perfect IMAP. It's IMAP-ish. It's Google-ish, you know, whatever it is. But Apple has got to figure out whatever wonkiness is going on and make Apple mail just work properly with, with Gmail. It has to be a priority.
2: Yeah, I agree. I I I hope that it becomes one like you said, low-hanging fruit.
1: So what other apps are you using in your workflows?
2: Um Drafts, like I said, Drafts Drafts is huge. Like I would love a Drafts um equivalent on the Mac. Um but in terms of using it when I'm on my phone, uh Ulysses is something that I'm using um that I really uh I'm using it to create different uh workflow and uh SOP or standard operating procedure documentation that doesn't exist right now for the stuff that I'm doing. Um, and I don't remember the name of it now, but I just signed up for a trial of something that Michael Hyatt mentioned at his workflow show uh, for documenting procedures that I wish I'd known about that before.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll go, we'll go back and find the link to that. I know it's, we linked it in that show, but yeah, that I was like, that sounds like a good idea.
2: I just signed up for that because what I was doing is I was using Ulysses, which I love. I've tried different things over the years, like uh, NV Alt and Simple Note, different things to kind of track notes. I didn't know that I wanted the functionality of Ulysses until Ulysses came out, but I like being able to kind of have chapters, if you will, of of books or notebooks. That's pretty slick. And I like being that it supports Markdown um, because... One of the things I'm doing less now, just because uh, the website for the show is so public facing, Uh, I I don't have a ton of confidence in it, but I want to try it more, is uh, using Ulysses to actually draft my uh, uh, WordPress posts, because our our website is WordPress, and be able to post from Ulysses to WordPress. I'll have to report back on how that goes. Um, Notability is another thing. so. On my iPad is what I usually have on set. And one of the things that I like to be able to do is while the interview is happening, so the the television show is a talk show. And so while the interview is happening, I like to pull little nuggets out of the show that later I can go to our editor and say, can you clip this for me? Because I'd like to use it for social media to tease the show. Um, I don't have the best memory and I can get the gist of what somebody has said, but I don't want to, you know. Uh, quote somebody on social media with the gist of what they said. <laughs> so the great uh, function of notability that I really like is being able to take notes and record at the same time, and then the recording can coordinate with a note. So a lot of times I can just uh, draw a star or something uh, in notability at a point when somebody said something that I think I might like to clip, and then I can go back and reference it later um, so that I can say to the editor, here's here's the thing that I, that I would like you to clip. Um I went back and forth between that
1: and like good notes but the the piece that sold me on nobility is the, the the recording. So you're actually recording the show while it's happening and then taking notes and saying, "Ooh, something happened there, something happened there." And then you can go back and listen to it.
2: Yeah, and I'm just recording the um, just the audio and a super really rough raw audio. It never gets used for anything, but it's really just a reference. Um, kind of like a, a, I, I assume that I would have done um, had I been in school using this as like a lecture, being able to capture lectures, uh, but it's really handy for that.
1: You know, David Wayne, I think on one of our early workflow shows mentioned that he used to use Notability for that very same purpose when he was recording um uh, when he what's it called when he was previewing something to an audience when he was like doing a first run of one of his movies or something to see like, oh did this get the laugh? did this get you know the reaction that we thought it would and then if it didn't, he would be like we need to rework this or you know something like that
2: yeah it's brilliant. I can see using it for stuff like that for sure where you want to just be able to reference like you said reactions are kept or capture something and be able to pay attention I think the the key there is that you can pay attention to what's being said and just if you mark a tick, you can go back and say, why did I like that um my brain sometimes, uh, doesn't process either is trying so hard to process what's being said that I miss, you know, the next five minutes of conversation or something. So it's a great use for that. Uh, I think one of the, 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 one of the apps that I use the most, in addition to the ones that we've just talked about, I think those are my most used. And while there are a lot of little peripheral apps, I also use, there's an, there's a web-based service called Hightail um, that I really like because, uh, Oftentimes, we have to share files that are, say, 30 gigs. They're really large uh, video files. And so Hightail is a service that really does well to optimize sharing of those by, uh, I'm not sure what they do, but they upload. Somehow, I think there's like some uh, some kind of Amazon uh, service on the back end that helps optimize the upload process and the, and the download process. Uh, as an example, we had a show that was like a 20 gig file. And just as a test, we... Uploaded to Hightail and then also used a shared folder on Dropbox it in a uh, in a Dropbox account that had nothing in it and it was one of the like 100 gig um, uh, accounts and so there's nothing in it so we said let's just take these blank accounts to see which one processes faster and we did a couple of uploads Hightail uploaded a like, 20 gig file and say I think it was like eight minutes or nine minutes uh, the status bar on uh, Dropbox said something like two days. And while it didn't end up taking that long, it was an overnight process. So what, what I've realized is that Hightail for us and sharing these really high, uh, these uh, big files, Hytale is
1: something that I use on a regular basis. I think Hightail used to be you send it.
2: I think so, too. Um, I, I feel like I, I've heard that as well. I, it was something else. Like we transferred you send it. But, yeah, I think it was you send it.
1: Well, Lana, we know you do a lot with video. What about photos? How are you managing those, especially with multi-platform devices?
2: Um, Yeah, so for photos, I do a combination of taking photos with my iPhone and with my Google Pixel. But the place that I'm uploading all my photos is to Google Photos. The reason I do that is because uh, I have um, producers that need access to these images to share with uh, guests from the show. And so um, being able to make those available to them immediately and then they can edit, do whatever they want to them um, is something that um, has been a requirement. So the idea that I would get something and then just text somebody as I get them, I just take them. A lot of times I'll burst, I'll take a bunch of them and people can pick whatever it is that they'd like. Um, so that makes it really handy. Um, the Google Photos is kind of the the joiner there.
0: Do you, do you see a difference between the iPhone and the Google Pixel in terms of the way they take pictures? I mean, do do either one of them favor you for one reason or another?
2: Yeah, I feel like so with the iPhone. I feel like for portraits, if somebody's not moving and I'm doing a proper portrait, of course, portrait mode on the iPhone, nothing can beat that. Um, and the zoom is better on the iPhone. So if I ever have to do it, I try not to do it too much because zoom on the on any kind of electronic zoom or optical zoom is just not that great, right?
0: Yeah, you can get yourself in trouble that way.
2: Or digital zoom, excuse me, digital zoom. Yeah, it it just it's it's never it's never good luck. And I feel like the the iPhone has performed a little bit better when when it's. When I'm in low light and a lot of times we're on set and the set is dark, the stage is lit, but the set is dark. Um, and I just feel like uh, the iPhone performs better there. Anytime doing something that's well lit where it's like kind of a landscape look, a lot of times I'll use the Google Pixel. For landscapes, I feel like the, the color is more true on the Google Pixel. Uh, if I did a When I did a comparison, I have a photo that I took at the beach and it was a sunset at the beach. The iPhone one that was way more vibrant, it also looked... Almost a little fake, whereas the Google Pixel photo out of the camera to me looked just—it looked very real. It still looked really nice. It didn't look real to like I didn't have to do a lot to it. Um, but for landscapes, the Google Pixel really um, shines there. But for everything else, people for sure, uh, the the um, the
1: iPhone. Now, the Google Photo service itself, people really love that service for sharing and organization and AI. Do you use, other than the sharing, any of those types of features? I do. I
2: really like um, the, for Google Photos, well, you know, actually, I guess I haven't really used any of those additional photo uh, functions. I really need to look into it because I think um, the other thing that was appealing anyways in terms of getting the Google Pixel phone is that uh, all of my photos I can save there. I can save the high resolution, unlimited uh, space to save them for the life of, you know, me using, me having this phone anyways. Um, So I kind of like that. But I do need to look into using some of those other functions. I use the sharing function. So when I create an album, it's easy for my phone to create an album and share it and then continuously upload to that particular album through the course of like a day for a show. And then. To then share it out with uh, with guests, but I haven't used any additional things, but I need to look into that for sure. But I like it because it's it, you can use it anywhere. the The disadvantage of being able to use iCloud photo sharing, right, is you have to have an iCloud account.
0: Yeah, and, and the the diff- there's a couple of distinctions there. Number one is because you have a Google Pixel phone, that's why you have the unlimited uh, any size photos. If you're an iPhone user and you don't have a Google Pixel phone, which is probably most of us, <laughs> uh, you got to pay for that. They, they have a, a free service where you can download, I think, I want to say, is it 15 megapixels? I don't, they've got some some limit as to what the size of the image is. And uh, you can't go above that without having a paid account. So they'll optimize something you upload that's bigger than that. Now, that the reference you're making to services is this idea of being able to search your library. Uh, Google uh, does that very well. So and and the reason they they do that partly is that they have this big algorithm that looks all the pictures and looks at what people are asking. And then it, it's a feedback cycle that gets stronger and stronger as it goes through. So if you want to look through your library for pictures of stormtroopers and you type in stormtroopers, there's a good chance that the that Google um, search will find it.
1: Does Google search know what a stormtrooper is? I I would like to know the answer to that. Uh, you know it's interesting they they
0: know what a wookiee is cuz okay. I searched it but it All got right. confused with dogs.
1: Well, that's that's understandable.
0: At the time I searched stormtroopers I did not find them, but I'm assuming by now it would because of the cycle.
1: But but you have you have plenty of photos of stormtroopers in your library I'm sure.
0: I know I need to go back in. I'm getting ready to update the the photos video field guide in the next few months, so I'm I'm starting to kind of spend a bunch of time with this stuff. But the um the, with with the with the iPhone, you get that as well, but it's all done on device where um Apple has put that algorithm together and your phone is actually searching and indexing for you as opposed to having a server somewhere in the Silicon Valley or somewhere else doing it for you through Google. For users, the advantage is the, you know, Apple's not looking at your pictures to do all this indexing. Now, the disadvantage is I don't think it can do it quite as well because they don't have these massive server farms and, and all that feedback. All that being said, one of the things I've noticed is I rarely use the feature of searching through my library to find pictures of dogs. I
1: You're always looking for Wookiees.
0: Yeah, or Wookiees, or Wookiees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I want to find a photo... The way Photos does displays it with kind of, you know, where it shrinks down to the years and you can kind of see the little schemes and just kind of scroll and point. I find that just about as fast a way to find pictures as I need. Um, and so that's my question to you two. Are you guys using that search feature to look through your Google or your uh, Apple Photos libraries?
2: I don't. When I take photos, when I take photos, I'll often create albums right away. Specific, because the only reason I feel like I would ever do that is if I was looking for something for an event or a, a, like a daytime specific thing. And I guess I have one-offs, but if it's that, you know, something significant, I'll create albums for things um, on the iOS side. And then I can share them later.
0: We had a birthday party for my sister-in-law and my daughter was making her something. And she wanted a bunch of pictures of my sister-in-law. And she says, you know, I need to find pictures. And, and I, I just opened up my iPad and I typed in her name and it does the facial recognition in addition to the object recognition. And I was really impressed with the number of pictures it found. First of the accuracy of finding pictures, there weren't a lot of false negatives or false positives. And um, you know and it was impressive when you stop to think about it it's doing all of that on device. Uh, it, it's really great to see those types of features finding whatever device you're using, whether it's Android or iPhone, you know just having the ability to search through like that is pretty cool
2: that is a cool feature i like that a lot i have to start using that more
0: you think you will you think you will but you you got to right. find a reason that's that's the thing right now, now what are you using to edit your photos with
2: uh, i do a combination of a, of of a couple things um i use the adobe uh creative cloud for a lot of things for kind of more of the heavier lifting and because I use Adobe Creative Cloud a lot of times I'll use uh Lightroom on iOS as well as uh, on my Mac um, and um for for bigger projects I kind of use Adobe Premiere Pro for video editing um but if it's something that's like a clip from a show a lot of times I'm just using iMovie on iOS and on um uh um sorry my Mac The only instance where that changes is if I'm sharing it with somebody else, like our editor or somebody else. Then I'll use Adobe Clip because it shares it to my Creative Cloud. So it's uh, a function of Adobe Creative Cloud and all their suite of applications, Photoshop, Illustrator, uh, uh, Adobe Premiere, After Effects. Uh, When you share something to that cloud, um, I can make it available to somebody else. Um, I can share a library with them. So if I'm sharing a clip from a show, a lot of times I'll use Adobe Clip on my phone um, so that that immediately happens. Um, otherwise, like I said, I'm using iMovie.
0: What, what do you think about the Adobe apps on iOS? I've never really heard anybody that's super excited about them.
2: I'm super excited about Lightroom. Um, I think they just haven't invested heavily in being, uh, the thing that replaces iMovies example for video, but Lightroom, uh, Lightroom, I used to use Snapseed, um, to edit my photos on my devices, but when, um, I, Io- Lightroom came to iOS, um, I just really like it. I like being able to manage, uh, like, uh, color curves. Uh, and with the Adobe stuff, you can do a lot with, uh, managing, um, I don't know the best way to describe it. For anybody who's familiar with an image, you have degrees of colors throughout your photo, and a curve is something that actually allows you to kind of bend those colors to make them either more or less saturated and actually switch them, as an example, on the spectrum of a color from like a light green to a dark green. It'll make your photos look weird, but if you want that level of control, the Adobe apps allow that.
0: Now, you've mentioned a few times that you use um, iMovie. Could you explain that further?
2: Sure. Um, if i'm if it's something that i'm just using for myself like i'm gonna share something on social um a lot of times i'll take the uh the clips that we have and they're often cut down i use a uh, QuickTime a lot on my mac as well um so if i take a clip uh the way that i get them from um my uh digital imaging guy is as a and as an m o v and um a lot of times i'll put that pull that into uh QuickTime to just do a really quick trim, just because it's simple. Command T, trim, cut it, send it. out. Yeah, it's,
0: it's really easy to cut pieces of video in, in QuickTime. Yeah,
2: super easy. And then I've got. Although, uh,
0: do you have a trick for getting like um the the playhead at the right spot? I find sometimes that's kind of difficult.
2: Uh, You know, I'm fortunate right now that I get um, that I get the clips the way that I want them. But if if not, then I actually pull them into iMovie. And then a lot of times I'll just look at the the audio because you can tell by the audio of something, you know, where somebody starts or where there's no there's no nobody talking. And so that helps me a lot with my the other trick is it's a video trick. If you know you're going to start something, you do this loud (laughs) clap and then that shows up in the audio. So I use the audio part of the clip a lot of times to be able to see where it is that I want to grab something.
0: All right, but I interrupted. So, so you get that into iMovie, and then so you I get j- that
2: into iMovie, and then I can do different things. I can stabilize the video. I can fix the audio. Unfortunately, um, where we shoot, uh, sometimes there isn't a lot of room. So sometimes in a room that has a fan, or I have to go outside. And so in iMovie, it's super simple to reduce hum or loudness, um, and and then uh, export that for sharing to Facebook or YouTube. Um, in iMovie, the other thing that I do is we've got. Um, an end card that just shows uh, just information about the show, where to watch it. Um, and so I, ta- I add that onto the end of all of our videos, but that can happen super quick in iMovie. And I think the thing that I like about iMovie and working in that versus working in, in the Adobe Premiere Pro app when I when I can, is it that it's super simple. Like if you just want to do a simple edit, like you almost need no, there isn't anything you need to do. It's the, when you open the app, it says import media and then you drag it to where you want to use it. You cut it and then you export it. Like there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a huge learning curve
0: and you drop the card in and you send it out.
2: Yeah. Super simple.
0: Uh, how much work is it to apply that filter to remove noise? Maybe some people at home want to use that. Oh
2: It's really easy. So uh, as an example, if you go into iMove, if I can describe this, you import the media and then you uh, click on it once to select it on the left side of the screen. Well, the way I have it. Uh, And then on the other side of the screen, whichever one you've chosen, um, you see the video. Above that, there's a toolbar. And in that toolbar, if you just click on each of those things and play with it, I guarantee that you're going to be... um, you're gonna be overwhelmed with excitement at how easy it is to stabilize the video or to get rid of that hum. Because you have these options that are right at your fingertips, literally like two clicks away, three clicks away if you include selecting the clip that you want to apply these changes to, and then another clip to select the the feature in the menu bar, and maybe another one to adjust a slider to say, you wanna reduce the, uh, hum, the loud hum by 50% or 75%. And that's literally it, it's so simple
0: and if you take any video outside, you should use this. (laughs) I can't, I mean, I think it improves every video shot outside.
2: I mean, you get super geeky if you wanted to really do a good job of getting rid of the hum. It's, it's, you take it, you, there's additional work that you can do to record only that ambient noise, that sound, and then you match it and then tell the, tell the, that's a, a longer process and not as simple, but at a very basic level, you're just kind of trying to get rid of, like you said, that, that outside noise. Doing it in iMovie this way is su- super easy.
0: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fracture. Get those beautiful pictures off your computer and on your walls with Fracture just in time for Father's Day. Head over to fractureme.com podcast and tell them you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. We spend a lot of time talking about pictures here on the Mac Power users, but not enough time talking about what you do with them after you have them in your computer. Specifically, how do you get them off your computer and on your walls? The answer for that is our longtime sponsor, Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. Just upload your favorite photo and they'll print it directly onto glass and add a laser cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include the wall anchor. Not only does this free you from the nonsense of going to the framing store and trying to pick the right frame and then realizing it doesn't match your room, it actually looks better. Fracture prints allow you to focus just on the image itself and because it's frameless, it stands out while still matching any decorating style. I've got these all over my house. Uh, We even have seasonal ones that we change through the seasons of the year. But they also make great gifts. And you know, Father's Day is just around the corner. I'm a dad, and I can tell you, getting pictures from my kids actually works on me. So if you can't figure out what to get dad, upload a great picture of you and dad together, send it to Fracture, and then you can have it to him in time for Father's Day. Fracture prints come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order. Each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials in their carbon-neutral factory. So what are you waiting for? Get those pictures off your Mac and off your iPad and onto a Fracture print. To get a discount off your first order, visit FractureMe.com podcast, and don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one-question survey. It helps support the show. Once again, to get that beautiful print, go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. And thank you, Fracture, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users.
1: Um, so, Leona, any other tools that you're using to edit video that we should talk about? Um, yes, as uh, previously
2: mentioned, uh, I do use Hytale to share and transfer large files. Before I do that, and that's usually for a final output. That's not something that I'm using to get feedback on a clip from somebody. That would just be a cumbersome process. There's an app, a web-based app called Frame.io that is brilliant for anybody wanting to share footage and get feedback. Uh, In Frame.io, I can upload clips or portions of shows as an example for somebody else to see. Maybe it's an editor that I wanna have something specifically done. Let me go back actually. Uh this is something that was used during the feature film that we mentioned at the very beginning of the uh, of the show, BOCA. Um clips could be uploaded to frame.io and shared with an editor and or a visual effects person. And there we could make comments next to the video uh and then uh have that we make comments next to the video so that the person that needed to take an action on that could easily manage that piece make the change and share it within Frame.io the the advantage to using Frame.io is, is just like Hightail, as I mentioned before, it's optimized for doing this type of thing. So where you could potentially do that in a private YouTube link, you've got to deal with all these other kind of controls and restrictions outside of, or that are part of YouTube to be able to share these things. Um, whereas Frame.io is built specifically to, um, As a post production workflow to share edited video clips with people who are editing or um, applying visual effects uh, between a team, so that everybody can comment and the changes can be tracked within Frame.io.
0: Yeah, I use a similar service called Whipster W I P S T E R. Sometimes when I make screencasts for companies, where we do a similar thing, where you have a workflow, they can see it. New versions can be looked at, and uh, you can identify comments to specific uh, points in the video, so you can. Go through
2: right, yeah, it's pretty slick it's 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 very um it's 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 a really handy tool, and uh while it's something that I feel like I've been using for the last maybe year, um for sure it's one of those those tools that I'm sure a lot of people in the industry were thinking, why hasn't somebody done this yet? Well, it's been done
0: <laughs> well, now that everybody in the industry is thinking, how do we keep this secure because apparently hackers are now stealing movies,
2: oh yeah pirates of the caribbean yeah i just wonder. i often wonder sometimes you ever wonder if those are just like the iphone leaks is that a real leak is that a real is that a real or are you trying to get some buzz around the new pirates of the caribbean
0: it makes you wonder <laughs> <It does.
2: laughs>
0: i'm sure maybe it's a little bit of both like everything right you know not that simple
2: <laughs> like where did that come from how did you get the whole thing
0: So so you're using the iPad and you've got the 11-inch MacBook Air and you've got the Mac Pro or MacBook Pro. Um, How does the iPad fit between those devices for you?
2: Um, If it's um, for the MacBook Pro, that's my heavy lifting stuff. If I'm going to export something for broadcast, um, 10-bit uncompressed, um, I'll use... Uh, my MacBook Pro is kind of a go-between. Uh, to be fair, if I'm sending something out to be broadcast, we're using, um, we've got uh, an old uh, Mac Mac uh, Pro Tower. Still love that thing. Cheese grater. Yes, cheese grater. Love that thing. So we still use that. And then I've got a 5K iMac um, that I'm using if if it's something specific dealing with those files. But I'll use my MacBook Pro as a way to... Um, edit even something some of the lower res high quality stuff, um, and then just to to tra- transport like larger files. But anything that I have to do that requires um, uh, that kind of heavier lifting, I'll use the MacBook Pro. If I'm going to be on the go and I feel like I might have to do something that involves either a light video edit or um, uh, maybe some extensive typing. Uh, that's not a good example. Something that just reco- think that I think that um, typically it's something that I'd like to be my lap- laptop to do. Um, then I will carry the MacBook eleven the eleven inch MacBook Air. Um, while I can do light edits and that kind of thing on the iPad Pro, what I find myself doing mostly there is text based, and then delegating whatever I'm doing with the iPad Pro. Even though I've got the smart keyboard, um, I still haven't bought into the or have really enjoyed using the the idea that i have to touch like at the point that the ipad pro gets a cursor that's a game changer for me then i probably wouldn't carry i don't know what i wouldn't carry at that point probably the 11 inch macbook air
1: (laughs) it seems like the natural one to go (laughs) on your list
0: yeah, <laughs> Apple um, wants it to go, <laughs> but you know the, they uh, they they still have work to do with the iPad to make it. You know, like I know that you tried to make the iPad your only carry around device for for a while, and eventually did just give it in and say, "Look, I just need a Mac for some of this stuff."
2: Yeah, I did. I really wanted to, and it, I feel like I was forcing it, and I feel like I was doing um uh the. There are things that I feel like I do, and like, I use the bar, like, I wonder if this is like getting into Federico territory. Like, if I'm getting into Federico territory, it's probably something I don't want to do because I feel like it would be too high maintenance in terms of either being able to replicate it if I ever had to replace my device, or just the amount of time it would take to set something up. And if I'm doing that, then I'm going to pull my one of my MacBooks, the 11-inch or the Pro.
0: So you've been using the 11-inch now for two or three months. Um, do you find that you're leaving the iPad home a lot more than before or has it affected that?
2: It has, I am carrying it more because the 11 inch fits in my purse. So the 12.9 inch, while I love it and I love the screen, I love watching movies on it. It's, it's, it's big. It's big. uh, That might change if, if, if there comes a 10.5 inch. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask.
0: (laughs) We're going to get to that in a couple of minutes because that, that is a super interesting rumor.
2: But I love, I just had somebody comment comments on my iPad Pro today. <laughs> Sorry. And, they were, and people just think it's
1: the super ma- There, What is that? It's an iPad yeah. Pro. That looks true. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the question is, is the iPad Pro enough that it could replace your 11-inch air?
2: I don't think so. As long as it continues to be a touchscreen only and there isn't the option for a mouse or some kind of a, a cursor-based device, I feel like it can't replace for me a laptop yet. I'm not there yet.
0: That's an interesting distinction, because like for me, the big hang up is file management. I mean, it really it needs a finder or it needs a way to manage multiple files. That's better than like pulling out individual teeth every time you need to do this stuff. Uh, So maybe that's it's interesting that for everybody, it's a little something different, but there's a lot of people that have that list.
2: Right. And that sharing
1: files.
0: What is your hang up, Katie? At what point do you put the iPad down and say this isn't working for me?
1: I think it's a lot of things still for me it's it's file management, it's being able to get easy I, I think file management's probably the big one still for me, but, um, but file and window management not not having access to the finder and not being able to easily drag and drop and do multiple things on on the screen. I'm just so much more efficient still on Mac than I am on an iPad.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that would make sense. You make a show called Mac Power Users. I mean, uh, yeah, we do. We grew up with this stuff, so, <laughs> you know, it, it it makes sense. But I still feel like there's some low-hanging fruit there. Um, In fact, why don't we get to that next?
1: to take a moment and thank our friends over at 1Password for their support of the show. And I want to talk about a brand new feature to 1Password, and that is travel mode. You know, we've been talking a lot on this podcast about security and safety, and particularly how it is important to protect your data when you travel and how that might not be so easy, especially if you're crossing borders. Well, as always, the folks on 1Password are on top of it. They have introduced travel mode. It is available to anyone with a 1Password membership. That means you subscribe to one and use their sync service. Travel mode protects your 1Password data from unwarranted searches when you travel. When you turn on travel mode, every vault will be moved from your devices except for the ones you've specifically marked are safe for travel. And all it takes is a single click to travel with confidence. So it's important for you to know that your data will be secure and as private as possible, then you definitely want to check out travel mode. So let's say hypothetically that you have a trip coming up to San Jose in the near future and you have to cross the border. Well, before travel mode, your data was potentially subject to search. Now, all you have to do is make sure that your items needed for travel are in a single vault, you sign into your account on OnePassword.com and mark that vault as safe for travel and turn on travel mode in your profile. You unlock 1Password on your devices so the vaults are removed and now you're ready to go. If you run into any trouble at the border, don't worry, your data is safe and secure. Now, when you get to your destination, you can simply sign in again, turn off travel mode and your vaults immediately show up back on your devices and you are back in business. Now, this isn't some trick. They haven't just hidden your vaults. They are actually completely removed from your devices as long as travel mode is on. And that includes every item and all your encryption keys. So there are no traces left for anyone to find. Even if you're asked to unlock 1Password at the border, you are good to go. So check it out. Travel Mode is available today and included in every 1Password membership. You can learn more by heading over to onepasswordcom slash MPU to save on your 1Password membership and get great benefits like Travel Mode and a whole lot more. And thanks 1Password for your continued support of the show.
0: Okay, so is this show hits the airwaves. were a week away from WWDC. And this year, it seems like we were talking before we started recording that there's a lot of rumors floating around already about some interesting things that may happen from Apple.
1: You know, Liana and I were talking before the show, David, I don't remember if you were on the call yet, but I, I really, I hope I don't get Disappointed because I feel like for the last couple of years with Apple events, it's kind of been like Charlie Brown and the football. We've been expecting big things. It's like, oh, it's it's going to be a great (laughs) keynote, and then, oh, no hardware is announced. (laughs) Oh, it's a speed bump. Oh, it's just kind of a little upgrade. All right, and I just, I, I I think diehard Mac fans are a little disappointed that you know, candidly, I think Apple's been a little distracted for the last couple of years. Maybe it's because they've had people you know, doing all kinds of stuff on, you know, the big spaceship campus, you know, maybe it's, uh, they've just been working on updates. I mean, clearly something went wrong with the Mac Pro. Um, You know, I I think it's a combination of things, but I really just have this feeling and, and maybe I'm wrong. You know, WWDC, the last couple of years, we haven't seen hardware announcements. The last couple of years of iOS have been more evolutionary instead of revolutionary. I think WWDC this year could be Apple saying, we're back and here's what we got to show you.
0: Well, I can tell you from talking to friends that work for the fruit company without saying a whole lot is that I think there was a massive distraction inside Apple around this car project that was never they never admitted to that that they hired a lot of people for and then laid a bunch of people off. And from the outside, it looks like they have decided that they're not going to make it a big deal. But uh, I do believe for the last several years, there's been a lot of distraction in the company about Apple making a car. And I don't think that's as big of a distraction anymore. I think at some point they said, you know, we're going to turn focus inside on our existing products. Um, So let's just kind of take it by category, Uh, starting with the Macs. I mean, do you guys feel like you're going to get some new Macs next week?
1: Liana's banking on a new MacBook Pro. What, What do you think about that one? Totally. I think it does come.
0: I think if it comes, it comes as a speed bump. I don't think you're going to get a completely redesigned Mac Pro. I think it's going to look just like the ones they're selling now, but it's going to be faster, maybe have some improvements to the keyboard. Yeah, you know? I,
1: I don't think it's going to, Apple is not going to admit there's anything wrong with the MacBook Pro. I think we're going to get the new latest generation Intel processors. I think we're going to get 16 gigabytes of RAM. Wait, is that right? 16, yeah, 32. I think we're going to be able to go up to 32 gigabytes of RAM on the MacBook Pro because um, they cap out at sixteen now, correct? I have to look. What do I have in mind? Um, I think we're going to be able to bump up to to thirty two because I think that's been something that's been holding back the pros. Um, I think there are going to be some minor revisions to the keyboard because I've heard there have been a lot of keyboard failures in these new Macs, but I don't know that they'll actually be mentioned. I think it. I, I think it may just be kind of stealth updates to the keyboard that that they don't really talk about. Maybe they'll just say we've, we further refined the design or something like that, but I don't think they're going to draw a big deal to it because I don't think Apple's going to say that the keyboard's a problem.
0: Just in the last week on my MacBook pro, I'm having suddenly issues with the space bar where sometimes it doesn't trigger, which is kind of funny when you read a contract and there's no spaces between words.
1: I don't know though about the touch bar. The touch bar is still a little up in the air for me. I, I feel like um. We were talking about early on the show. The Touch Bar has not yet been widely adopted, but I don't. But I think Apple is going to double down on it for now, because I feel like if Apple doesn't double down on the Touch Bar, um, it, it's it's giving up on the Touch Bar. So I think I think we're going to continue to see a big push on the Touch Bar.
2: I think that'll be interesting.
1: And see, I,
0: I, I'm trying to eliminate my Mac power user bias, right? I mean, not everybody that listens to the show, or not everybody. It's certainly not everybody that uses a Mac. Uh, takes advantage of keyboard combinations. I, I watch my, my daughter use, because the MacBook Pro I have is kind of a a family machine, if that makes any sense. Uh, and she helps me out with some of my work. And I watch her use it, and she's using the touch bar a lot more than I am. And that's because she grew up using an iPhone and touch devices. And just because we're not all you know super excited about it, I, I'm not sure that doesn't mean people aren't using it. I, I, I fully expect them to continue to support it for a while.
1: Yeah, but I I think doubling down on it would be introducing a uh, and, and it may not happen at WWDC, but I think it happens at some point um, is introducing a um uh oh gosh what what is the the, the standalone keyboard with, yeah, an with the touch bar with an external it. keyboard yeah. with the touch bar you know shipping the touch bar on their their Magic Keyboard um, not introducing because there's a lot of speculation is will they introduce a 15 inch high end MacBook Pro without a touch bar you know a MacBook Escape that's a 15 inch, I don't think they'll do that.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't think that we're going to get the plain MacBook, you know, this, the ultra light MacBook with a touch bar. I think that there's, you know, the whole point of that thing is so light. And when you add the touch bar, I think it's going to add battery requirements. And frankly, it just wasn't designed for it. And I think that cases doesn't have much room to play with in there.
1: Um, I think that they will, if they can, but I don't think they're there yet.
0: But, Leanna, okay, let's say that, you know, suddenly you get made Tim Cook for a day and you you get to decide, what is your dream MacBook Pro going to look like next week?
2: Ooh. Uh, I know this is something really weird to say because I know in the age of Retina, but I have to say that I still really like, like, super beefy machine. Like, if I can get over 16 gigs of RAM and a uh, matte screen, I would go back to a matte screen.
0: Without Retina? Yes. Blasphemy!
1: Blasphemy! <laughs> I still what, like it. What do you have against Retina? I I understand the matte screens part, but but the Retina part. Uh,
2: I don't have anything against it. I think I just prefer the matte. I don't know if it's just something that I'm used to seeing. Like I like the way the Retina looks, but I want Retina when I want it. Like I'd rather just connect to an external display that's Retina and work from a matte screen.
0: Yeah, well, that's not going to happen.
2: As <laughs> I said, I knew that that, that was, was going to be for me only, and that's not going to that's not going to work. But it's it's not that I don't like the retina. Again, I just I would wouldn't mind working from a mat. It might just have to do with my eyes. I still prefer the way that it looks. Like the retina still. I
0: think, Leon, I have to fire you as Tim Cook for a day <laughs> just for that.
2: <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't get picked to be the to, to talk to Tim Cook for a day.
0: Yeah, you lose that. You just lost that job.
2: I just lost it. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: All right. We also got this rumor circulating around, and it's, I think it's much more than a rumor now of a 10.5 inch iPad. So, um, and 10.5 inch is the screen size. The actual, uh, we're, we're seeing cases leaked now, and I just feel like there's so much smoke here, there must be fire. But it's an iPad that is slightly taller and very slightly wider than the existing 9.7 inch iPad, but the screen stretches across um, you know, edge to edge and much higher. So you get a ten point five inch screen size. So you're getting a screen size somewhere between the two existing iPads and a body that's about the size of the existing nine point seven inch iPad. Um what do you guys think of that? Think it's gonna happen and are you excited about
1: it?
2: I think it happens. I, I can't I don't know if I'm excited about it or not. I mean I think um I feel like there's been so much talk about it. Like I'm not somebody typically who's followed rumors, but this is when I've kind of been following because I'm trying to figure out the twelve point nine. While I love it, it's, just, it's a really big iPad to carry around. Um, so I would. Lo- I part of me says more than fifty percent sure that if this comes out, that I would go to the ten
1: point five. I I think it happens, but this one I'm not entirely sure is going to happen at WWDC because we have not traditionally seen iPads this time of year. So I, I I'm I'm a toss up on this. I, I definitely think it happens. I just don't know that it happens at Dub Dub. I think it could possibly come out later in September. I am interested in this personally, although I, I may not get the first generation that comes out because I feel like I, you know I just bought the nine point seven and I'm not even near maxing out its capacity yet. So you know there's there's really absolutely no need for me to update my iPad at this point. But it's it's kind of like if if it's I don't want an iPad that's any bigger I you know I really don't but it's kind of like if I could get an iPad that's the same size and have more screen well why not that's 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 kind of just a gimme
0: yeah I, I'm with you guys I I think this is a really interesting product and it, it may be able to to walk you know between both lines give you a smaller form factor at the same time giving you a pretty big screen I mean one of the things I really love about the big iPad is. When I'm working on large contracts where there's, a, there's small text, it gives me a lot of room to have like a Dragon Anywhere window open and also annotate. And on the 9.7, it's, it's pretty hard to read that stuff. Another thing I really like doing with the big iPad is sheet music. I play a lot of music and sheet music is hard to read on that little screen with, this, uh, with my eyes. Um, so it would be interesting to see what they do with that. But, you know, the iPad sales have continued to go down over the years the product hasn't taken off the way they want it. And I could easily see them announcing this along with some big iOS changes, which we'll talk about in a minute, to try and kind of light a fire under the iPad and get people excited about it again. So
1: I, I guess part of me is also concerned just with the the fact, no, don't get me wrong, iPad sales are still good. I mean, if you break them out of Apple, they're they're still an amazing business for somebody. Yeah, it's
0: like a, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take that business.
1: Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's still like a Fortune 500 business in and of itself, but um I, I, I kind of wonder how I, – I know that the iPad is a little bit of a pet project of Tim Cook's. I know he loves the iPad and that he personally uses the iPad quite a bit. But you kind of wonder in terms of time, money, and resources how much they're going to continue to pour in the iPad with the returns not, not necessarily being where they they hope they are. And I don't think it's necessarily a problem of people switching away from the iPad or or those types of things. I just think it's a problem that people just aren't updating them as frequently as they would like. I mean, my, my, I think about everyone else in my family, all the normal people in my family have, um, have had the same iPads for three to five years, you know, and, and unless they break or unless there's a significant reason for them to upgrade, they, they just don't need to. They all, they all have iPads, but they, they have, you know, an iPad air or, um, I think, you know, or an original Retina iPad mini or, you know, or even some, in some cases older than that. And for what they're using them for, they're, it's fine.
0: Yeah, that, that they're a victim of their own success in that regard where an old iPad, because I mean, the, the way the by its essence, the product doesn't, it's not going to overheat. It's not going to have a lot of the problems traditional computers have. And for whatever reason, where people like to replace their phones every two years, with an iPad, I think they treat it more like a refrigerator, and they use it until it stops keeping their food cold, and then they get a new one. I I, I have a definite opinion on this. I, I and I've written about this at Max Sparky a lot, so I won't bore everybody. But I feel like the underlying problem with the iPad fundamentally is software. It's that you know they sell it as a computer replacement, as a laptop replacement, and iOS is constrained by being an an a phone operating system and they have not taken the, you know, they just have not unleashed the iOS for the iPad in a way that people can get real work. We talk about this, it seems like every week where people want to use the iPad more and there's something, it's always something that they can't do on it. And if they would just really kind of unleash iOS for the iPad, I'm not even saying you fork the operating system, but you just give it so many additional new features that you need to buy a new iPad because there's so many great things you can do now um, that it forces you to want to upgrade, and it it allows people to use them for more. I bet that that would help sales. Um, to, to the original point Kitty made, though, I don't think this is a product that Apple's going to give up on. I think they do see it as a big future product, and it's taken a while to to get off the ground. But I, I just don't see them walking away from this. And I wouldn't categorize it, frankly, as a pet project of, of Tim Cook. I think this is a big product project to apple i mean they can't give up on this is that wishful thinking or is that just me being i don't know what about you 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 think it's going to go away the ipad
2: Uh, you mean just uh, overall that'll go away i don't think so like i was kind of wondering if the, the the mini pro uh rumor is just like craziness
0: well i haven't heard that one what i heard was the ipad mini is just going away
2: yeah, I don't remember why I saw it at one point. I saw like a, this was a little while ago, so it might not be relevant anymore, but there was like a, a, a the idea that there would be a yeah, just a, a mini that has pro features like being able to use the pencil with it.
0: Yeah, but but I also think Katie could be very right that this should could be something that they don't mention that that we get a bunch of updates to iOS, but we don't see the actual hardware until they're ready to sell it.
1: Right. I agree. Yeah. I think that's more likely. Yeah, I think the mini's going away, and it breaks my heart because I love the mini. But I think it's going away.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. But, but, but the big with the big iPhones. I mean, I can see how it gets squeezed out. Um, what about the? I, I don't think we're going to see any iPhones. That that never happens at or hasn't happened at WWDC in a very long time. And no, um, no iPhones. But there's a lot of uh, rumors around this Amazon Echo competitor. Uh, I guess they're calling it a Siri speaker. What do you guys think of that?
2: I mean, I think that's interesting. interesting. I think it's one of those things. um, uh, Hang on. Hang with me on this one. But uh, related to the music management show. Uh, or the audio management show um, Spotify is something that I still use And it's because it was first I mean there are a lot of other reasons But I feel like people might be invested now In their Echoes or their homes Because they've had them for a little while I mean Siri would have to be this super breakout thing That offers more than just integration with iOS Because I feel like the other devices are doing that um, But I don't know I mean I, I'm not compelled to buy something like that anyways So I'm probably uh, bad for like you know predicting What I think will come of that
1: so I still think it's early days here. I, I don't think nearly as many people have Amazon Echoes or have Google Homes as we think do because we have them. You know, we're we're not the normal people here. We're we're the geeks in this situation. But but I still think this is this is fairly early days. But but Apple doesn't have a lot of time. They they can't afford to give up too much more time on this. So I think Apple has to do this. I'm stunned that they haven't gotten into this category before now. I mean, hello, they bought Beats. They have a speaker company. They have they have people who have expertise in this. Um, I'm I'm kind of surprised that they let Sonos go unanswered for as long as they did. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised they didn't just buy Sonos. But um, yeah, I, I think it's I think if it's not coming, um, I, I think I I think it is coming. I think it's coming at WWDC. But I can also see a possibility. It would not shock me if we get all the Siri hooks and we get all the APIs and it strongly hints that there's more coming. And then we actually see the hardware in September because Apple does that, you know, they build in the hooks, they get things ready. They get developers building things. They get more things interacting with Siri. And then, Oh, by the way, well, here's what you were building it for.
0: Yeah. I've got a post half written on this. Hopefully it'll be up by the time the show publishes, but I, I got, to, I just sat down and thought, well, what would I want from an Apple, you know, Siri speaker-like device. And I feel like so much of what Apple has, so much of, of what they bring to the table is iOS-based. And like even it's like all these app stores and and all of these Apple services where, um, and I know that uh, Phil Schiller has already kind of stated that he feels like a device like this should have a screen, but I would really like if Apple does one for it to have a screen. And I feel like that that would, be really nice to be able to say like show me pictures from last christmas and with the fact that i'm using apple photos it's already got all the you know, all the siri engine back engine stuff is built already um i would almost view it as kind of a combination of an amazon echo and a stationary ipad you know like maybe an ipad mini screen size and just what if you had something like that in your kitchen at all times you could say, you know, show me the recipe for bratwurst or whatever. And so you could get a combination of voice and and screen. I think that's how I would like to see it, it go.
1: So I'm I'm not so sure about this the screen, David. And I go back and forth on this for a couple of reasons. One is we already have the Apple TV. We already have the screen. And so we we can tell it to show me this and then it will activate the Apple TV and show us whatever we want. So that's, a, I think if they do one with a screen, they have to do one without it as well. Because the thing that I love about the Amazon Echo is it's hands-free, eyes-free. I can just set it on the counter in my kitchen. And the way that my kitchen happens to be set up is it's, it's a very open plan kitchen. And it's, in a, you know, from where, where the speaker's sitting, I can listen to it in the kitchen. I can listen to it in my eat area and I can listen to it in my um, living room. And I've looked at the Amazon Show. I've looked at that quite a bit, and I've I've almost pre ordered one, but I've decided that I'm going to wait until after WWDC. And then I'm also just not sure that I want one because if I have an Amazon Show, yeah, that that could be useful for a, a few different things. But where am I going to point it? I'm going to have it in the kitchen, pointing towards me. Am I have it in the bedroom? I mean, I, I just I, the the c- cylindrical speaker of the Echo is so much more useful to me. Not to have to, you know, because it's hands-free, I don't have to be looking at it. I can just shout out something at it and, and get my answer. And if I, you know, I think if I want to look at something, send it to the Apple TV.
0: Yeah, well, in my Tim Cook is a day hat, I feel like I would want the best of both worlds. I would want all of those hands-free types of features. I mean, when you think about the things you ask the Amazon Echo to do for you in the kitchen, it's setting timers, telling you the weather. Um, playing music, I mean, all of that stuff should be able to be done without looking at a screen. And and I feel like if you had to look at the screen to do that stuff, they blew it, you know. But I think that there's additional things you could get from having a screen. And this is, like I said, nobody really knows at this point what it is going to be like. But if I had my druthers, it would be something with a screen in it as well.
2: That'd be kind of interesting. I mean, I think, uh, having the option to not have a screen as well, I think would be, would, would also make sense for people who didn't want it just to get more people into the game. Um, if it prevents somebody from getting one because it has a screen, um, having one without would, would, would be a nice option. Um, the, uh, I mean, I like the idea of it. I think, um, if it did, if it didn't, if it, I'm not sure what I'd want it to do, I guess, in thinking about hearing what both of you said about kind of what you were were looking for. Um, Again, I think for me, there just has to be something and I don't know what that is. Some kind of deal breaker that just says, oh, man, I really, really, really have to have that. And I'm not sure what that is yet. Um, But uh, having the screen has an option for things in the kitchen, specifically. We're talking about that. It would be nice to be able to say, "Show me a recipe for this thing." But I guess it depends upon you know who you think is is going to be using it um, and what the other features are. I feel like uh, it could potentially cost, like the cost might be prohibitive for some people. If it again, if it if it only comes with a screen, um, and I think if they're going to get in the business of doing it, like if we want to go back to talking about you know Apple getting into TV more than just doing the Apple TV. If there's some kind of hook, and again, I don't know what that is, but that uh, related to something in that realm, it might be
1: more compelling to me.
0: Well, I do think, you know, it's it's Apple, so I don't think they're gonna release both. I think they'll pick one at least for the beginning.
1: And and maybe one will come later. Uh, The the two comments that I'll make and and then we can move on to another point is one, keep in mind, you have a screen not only on the Apple TV, but also on your wrist and also on your phone and also on your iPad. So there are multiple screens that it could tap into if it needed to. Um, The other point is for any of this to happen, Siri has to get better. And I really think that first and foremost that's what they need to focus on at WWdc they need to focus on opening Siri up to developers making Siri smarter letting Siri have more interactions um, but Siri has to get better because I am so frustrated with Siri right now um, it, it's it's just Painful to use for anything more than the simplest of tasks. So be- before they even need to branch out into this, I-, I don't want a Siri sitting on my countertop that is the same Siri we have today. Yeah, I get a point.
0: It, you know, it's interesting. I I, I would uh, argue that Siri's not. I guess everybody has their own experience, but. Uh, Siri is working pretty good for me in a lot of ways. We we talked with Clayton Morris a couple weeks ago, and he talked about how he's using the Gboard, the Google keyboard on his phone. So I downloaded and was experimenting with it. They have the Google voice dictation built into the Gboard, which is cool. And I always, every time I'd used it, I'd been impressed with it. So I did some tests uh, dictating to Google voice and dictating to Siri. And I had pretty much the same result with both of them. They were both snappy, and they both had very few errors. I, I was surprised that there really wasn't much difference between them. I think the problem with the Siri that I experience is they're doing good at capturing the words, but they're not doing as good a job processing the words and turning them into action. So when you want Siri to go and conduct work with the words you gave it, sometimes you get into dangerous waters. Uh, but, but we still haven't even talked about the operating systems. Um, but before we get to that one other thing, I I feel like we're going to get some kind of news about Apple having its own TV content. Everybody's doing that. You know, I, uh, um, I was talking to a friend that went to, um, what's that Robert Redford film festival in Utah? Sundance. And, uh, yeah, Sundance. And he was saying every room he went into, there were people there from Amazon and from Netflix buying all these movies. Um, and and that seems to be a big thing, and these technology companies are are owning content. I think it's time for Apple to get in the game, we're hearing all sorts of whispers about that.
2: Yeah, I think that'll be interesting. I mean, I think there's so much content out there now, though, like, I'm not of the... I, I don't... Based on what I'm seeing, it's not all that great. <laughs> so I we might have more players in the game if people come with more original series, and we're not just rebooting Spider-Man for a 50,000th time. Um, I would like to see something like that.
0: Um, I, I think they it. should just give a pile of money to Leon Alejo and let her make something cool.
2: Woohoo, I think that'd be fun. There'd be a lot of goofy stuff
1: involved, but, you know, it would be original content. <laughs> all
0: right. So let's talk. <laughs> I, I don't
1: know. All my all my favorite shows are back on again. I mean, Twenty uh, Four's gotten rebooted. The X-Files has come back. Star Trek is coming back. <laughs> I mean, all all of my favorite shows from the 90s are coming back on now. So.
2: Do you like the reboots? Like, do you like twenty yeah. four? 2040 Oh, Full reboot? house.
1: Full house is back on.
2: Right. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying that
1: all these things are being rebooted. It's like,
2: did we need really really need to reboot that?
1: I don't know. I heard, I heard, I saw the other day uh, that Roseanne is coming back. I'm like, oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, I heard that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I was like, we don't do, it. yeah. Yeah. I, d- I, don't, I, d- I don't think we're going to see the TV service at WWDC. Sorry, David.
0: Well, I'm not saying a TV service. I'm saying that they're going to start, because they already have a, an app like reality show
1: well they they can't even get carpool karaoke and the app for that out
0: i feel like we're going to get more information about that i i I just feel like that they are going to start getting their own content because i feel like they feel like they have Ah, to
2: that's right planet of the apps yeah (laughs) delayed
0: um the uh okay real quick on mac os we'll get to ios in a minute but mac os anything you guys want to see in mac os coming out
2: I can't think of anything. I feel like uh, there's uh, this is one of those instances where, I kind of mentioned it before, I don't know, like with Ulysses, I didn't know I wanted it until I had it. I feel like the o, like the OS, I feel like, does a lot for me now. I don't know if there's anything I can think of that I want that I don't currently have.
0: Yeah, it it is. Um, the Mac is a very mature operating system, and... Uh, I would like to see improvements with the built-in dictation, which we get every year. It gets a little better with a new, you know. But the, my list is really short at this point.
1: Mail. 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 <laughs> right, yeah. mail.
0: But you have options. You don't have to use Apple Mail. And, and Apple Mail, frankly, has got better over the last few years. So, I mean, but the, the it's like we're, we're down to the thousand grit sandpaper with some of the stuff. It's not like... Uh, we're looking to reinvent things, and, and and to a certain extent, I feel like they try to add big features to just have something on the tin, and none of them are really that useful. I mean, who uses Siri on the Mac at this point? Do you guys use do you use it?
2: No, I don't.
0: I use it to play music on iTunes. I'll say, you know, play John Coltrane, and that's kind of cool that it just does that for me. But
1: no, I don't. I don't want any more big features. I just want you to take the features we have and make them better.
0: Yeah. All right, iOS. I feel much differently about iOS. <laughs> um, the, we, you know, we've been dancing around this one the whole show, but but last year at WWDC, okay, uh, actually, there's a history lesson here. We go back two years ago. WWDC. They said, "Hey, we understand that the iPad is a little different than the iPhone. We love the iPad, so we've made all these changes." And they added split screen, and they added uh, several features. Oh, you know, they added the ability to move the cursor with your finger on the screen. They added like a lot of stuff that make the iPad more of a productivity machine. And it's the thing for me was that that's what really got me excited about trying to use the iPad more. And then last year we got there and, um, yeah, you know, I thought iOS 10, they're going to keep moving the ball forward. Now, you know, they've woken up on this issue and I'm sure they had this big team working on more iPad features. We all had our lists and we got squat. We got nothing last year.
1: I think there's a lot of things that could be fixed on iOS. I mean, okay, mail, mail. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to keep singing that song until until they actually do it. But um, I would like to see it uh, perhaps not so sandboxed. I, I would like to see more developer integrations and things. And, and and we've started with it, but, you know, why why can't Siri talk to more apps? Uh, why is there no share sheet? in, in Apple mail. Um, why, you know, why can't I rearrange, you know, and have widgets on my lock screen and, and those types of things. I mean, I'm sure there are, there, there seems like there's a lot of stuff that can still be done on iOS 10.
0: So much low hanging fruit. I mean, I, I feel like let's just take the complaints Katie had a few minutes ago. She says, there's no finder. Why don't we have a simplified finder?
1: Please give me a finder. Yes. Right, a finder would be great. I,
0: I don't need to see all the user files. I don't need to get into the, you know, like on the Mac we have a lot of access. We don't need all that access. But I just want a place that says, here's all the Word documents on your iPad. And hey, if you want to go ahead and select six of them and attach them to an email, or if you get an email and you want to save six of them to your finder at in one step, here you go. You know, bless you. Continue and go forth. Or what about the other problem Katie had was window management. Why do we have this goofy split screen thing where you can't even search for an app on the right side of the screen and you got to have, you know, it's a completely different system from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen. It should be identical where you, you can uh, switch apps on the left or the right screen with a search bar uh, very easily. So you can jump between two different apps as quick as you want, Um it's like this low hanging fruit stuff needs to be fixed. Last year I was complaining to some of my, my Apple friends and, you know, they never say anything. They don't want to get fired. I don't want to get them in trouble, but, but they also, I also was hearing things like, Hey, um, we're working on iPad stuff. We just didn't get there. And I always thought there was going to be a point release for, you know, iOS 10 at some point where we got that, that fixed never showed up. So, I would be shocked if we don't have iOS improvements for the iPad in a week. And and I expect them to be significant. If it's just little, like, you know, new coat of paint stuff, I'm going to be really upset.
2: What would be really cool is if you could also, um, in some instances, pick default apps. Like, there's certain instances where I would just, like, um, I don't know if I'm using docs over, like, pages. I mean... I don't have pages installed, but if it was a default, I'm trying to think of something. Weather. Uh, if I have what we- if I choose to use weather underground, like that's the thing that I wanted to pick versus picking the stock weather app. Like being able to pick that would be cool. And then earlier you kind of mentioned something where we were talking about Google Pixel phone. Just made me think of something that I was really cool that exists on that phone. And I don't know if it's an Android thing or not, because this is my first Android phone in a long time. But I actually have the ability to create user profiles on the Google Google Pixel. So if I'm gonna give it to my niece to play with then I can go here, this is what you have access to. And it you can just swipe down from the top and then you pick a different user and then there's a different user profile set up on the phone. For the I, iOS devices, that would be really slick.
0: Well, I guess, I guess the long and the short of it, and, and we are going long on the show, so I'll, I'll kind of just sum up. I think there's a lot to be done on iOS and, w- and I think all of us feel like we need to see significant progress.
1: Yes. Well, in just one short week, maybe we will. So uh, we do have a feedback show between now and then, folks. So you can send us your email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or continue this discussion in our Facebook group. You can find a link to that. It's a uh, uh, Facebook.com slash group slash MacPowerUsers, and you can uh, continue that discussion there. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd. David is at MacSparky. And Liana, where can people find you? Are you on Twitter these days? Um, Occasionally. Um, uh. <laughs> Um my uh
2: account is FitTorrent, uh it's like BitTorrent, but for fitness. F I T T O R R E N T. FitTorrent is my uh Twitter handle. Um I occasionally will tweet about fitness these days, but I'm pretty active in the Facebook group, so
1: Yes, you are. I like that group. It's a great group. It is a great group. Great group. All right, well, we will see you all um, in a week. We'll have your feedback then, and then we'll be talking about WWDC in no time. So we can't wait to see uh, what Apple has in store for us. So we'll see you all. Oh, we do have to thank our sponsors for this episode.
0: Yeah, thanks Fujitsu, FreshBooks, Fracture, and 1Password. And we'll see you next week.